Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Yes, praise the Lord. Good morning. And we'll look, uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing everyone after service too because we're having our opportunity to serve day so if you want to learn about ways that you can get involved and make a difference by serving just head on over to the dining rooms after service and you can learn some things and there's a light lunch provided and i hope many of you turn out and find a way that you can get back and serve and that that would be wonderful be great we've been here talking about jesus hope that doesn't shock anybody it's a great thing that we can do this. There's no, uh, we got no persecution. We can stand here freely. So for the f- past number of weeks, good number of weeks now, we've been discussing Jesus when you statements. And that's pr- been primarily from the gospel of Matthew that we've been looking at. When Jesus was talking to a, a big crowd of people, he was teaching them, Sitting on a hillside, they call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Those are all the words of Jesus. And as he taught these people, they were captivated because they hadn't heard teaching like this before. They'd been taught by uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were very legalistic. And Jesus was telling them things about their faith And how to live their life like they'd never heard it before. So they were captivated. They were fascinated. They were listening. We've been somewhat in the center portion. The beginning to about the middle of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus saying, when you you give. He said, when you pray. And he said, when you fast. Seems there's... Three practices that he really presumed were just regular parts of these people's lives. This big crowd of regular everyday people that he was talking to. And last week, I said, if we took a survey here about giving and about praying with a question about how regular you do that, or even if I said, last week, did you give something to someone You gave at least one time in one way last week. And if you prayed one time last week, I didn't ask for hands, but I pretty much thought 100% of the room would have their hands up. Yeah, everyone, everyone gives and everyone prays. But what about this thing called fasting? And I'm guessing I probably wouldn't get 100%. That's all. At least if I said, have you fasted last week? But Jesus seemed to be speaking to people and presuming these were regular habits, that this was something they were very accustomed to. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. So we talked last week about examples of corporate fasting, groups of people fasting. We looked at examples of the entire nation, the entire nation of Israel Going to a fast, going to a, a fast, going before the Lord for a cause. 
And then some cities. Uh, we talked about the city of Susa. That was Esther's city. She called a fast for them. Large groups of people fasting. In other situations where, whether it was a group, whether it was a city, whether it was an entire nation, they were seeking God for protection, for wisdom, for guidance. And I left you with six things. Six takeaways from these uh, times of fasting, which were corporate times uh, of fasting groups. The six things very quickly, if you weren't here last week, well, people had a mutual need. They had a mutual need, so together they shared that need. Whether, Whether it was a need for guidance, whether it was a need for protection, whatever, they had a shared need. So that was number one. Number two, they were unified. They went together in their fast before the Lord. And they practiced, number three, self-denial. They denied themselves something, and that was primarily food. This is what a biblical fast meant. When we read fast in the Bible, it's about taking some food out of our, our life for a time to focus on God. So they had a mutual need, they were in unity, they practiced self-denial, and then they sought God in prayer. They were seeking God in prayer. And number five, they were seeking God humbly. They weren't making a big show about it. People humbled themselves. They, they, they even denied themselves comfort. They put on sackcloth. They sat in dirt. And then number six, God responded. They had a need, they were unified, they denied themselves, they sought God in prayer humbly, and then God responded, God answered. And these are aspects that we saw from a group of people who would fast together. Now most of these things would apply if we fast on our own. And I told you last week, we'll talk about that today, individual times of fasting, Before we do that, let's remind ourselves what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 in this Sermon on the Mount. After he talked about giving and praying, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18, the words of Jesus, he said this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now imagine you're sitting on the hill there. And you've been listening to Jesus. By now, he's got to be coming through really clearly. Because if you've been keeping track, this is the third time that Jesus has said these words. They have received their reward in full. Reward for what? Well, reward for practicing giving and praying And now fasting with this, hey, look at me attitude. Check out what I'm doing. I'm great at giving. I'm great at praying. And now I'm fasting. And and how did he describe it all? They put on this somber look. And, uh, you know, they're making a show of it. And Jesus said, that's the hypocritical attitude. 
Don't be like the hypocrites. He started each one of these topics with the negative. Do not, do not take this attitude. Do not be like the hypocrites. They want attention. They want to be seen by other people. They want the approval of people. Imagine if Jesus was here now in the Instagram, Facebook era. I don't know what he'd be saying. Because, you know, I've heard that... uh, if mirrors and the reverse camera on your phone, if those didn't exist, Instagram wouldn't exist. Because it's this, look at me, look at me. So, you know, Jesus says, drop that attitude. Now they want attention, they want the approval of people, they have received their reward and fall. So what's his point? Make it your practice. Make it your practice, your habit, to be discreet about your giving. Don't be showy. Don't be pompous when it comes to your prayers. Don't be looking all downcast and obvious if you're going to take some time to fast. Be inconspicuous. Put a smile on your face. Put on the happy face. And God rewards that attitude. And now, of course, we've talked about all of these things to say it's doesn't mean you can never, ever speak to it. You can never talk about it. Of course, if we're using our experiences to encourage someone. If our heart is to help them, it's not to brag, it's not to make a name for ourselves, then of course we can, you know, help encourage someone and encourage them to pray or give or fast without making it a show. So Jesus made this point. It's about the attitude of the heart. That's what he's been speaking to in the Sermon on the Mount for all kinds of things. It's the attitude of your heart. But in in this particular situation about the fasting, he doesn't really talk about the physical how-to very much. Really not at all. There's really no nuts and bolts to this thing called fasting. Now, when it came to prayer, he actually gave a little how-to. He said, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, that would be your name. He went through this prayer that we've called the Lord's Prayer. He gave a how-to. But not so much on fasting. There's no real, this is how you fast, other than have the attitude and don't be a show-off. So, what can we surmise? Well, these people must have known. They must have known how to fast. They must have known what it was all about. There's the implication here that Jesus makes that it's a regular habit in their life. Just watch the attitude. Watch the attitude. Don't be a show off. And this applies. This applies whether we're fasting as a big old congregation, a city, a group of people, or whether we're just going to take time individually to to have a fast. And... Uh, these same principles, these same six takeaways really, in essence, apply. Now, the need, the first one, the need, that was a group need. But you may have a personal need. You may have a personal need. So if we're going to go before the Lord in a fast, maybe we have an independent cause. We have... Uh, a need that's just something on our own heart. Maybe it's a need for uh, ourselves or our family, but this is not something for the whole city to pray about. So we're going to deal with that personal need 
in a spiritual way. We're going to seek God and use this fasting as a mechanism to seek God. Because at its root, at its root, what's the point of this thing that we call a fast? It's to remind us. It's to remind us to get into the word of God. It's to remind us to meditate on the word of God. And it's to remind us to pray, to cause us to be seeking God with an intensity, to be wanting and desiring to get a deeper relationship with our God. And this is primarily by getting into his word and praying and a fast is to remind us to do that, to direct us to do that. And when the Bible speaks of fasting, it, it has to do with the elimination of food because it was an act of self-denial. And I talked to you last week about this freed up time for people. The day could be spent uh, with a good bit of time to prepare because they didn't have refrigerators and supermarkets. People had to slaughter animals or they had to grind their own flour. This took time. They had to make fire. And I turn a knob, I got a fire. Well, they had, to, they had to fool around with things to make fire happen. So it took time. And so when they eliminated this, they had plenty of time to seek God. And it'd be a reminder, of course. You know, if we fast, we feel that, uh, that growl in the belly. I call it getting hangry. You know, it changes your attitude. You can, your head starts to ache. There's no better reminder than to seek the Lord. But I also said this last week, and I want to repeat it. It's not about hurting ourselves. You know, if you can't physically eliminate food for a time because medical issue, etc., perhaps there's something else in your life. You could eliminate, self-deny. And take that time to focus on God. And I'm going to give you some examples a little bit later. But let's continue on these principles. These principles of fasting. You have a need. You're going to approach God. And so you willingly deny yourself. And that denial causes you to concentrate. To, to just focus on God. Everything God. So you seek God harder and more intensely with a greater passion and a heightened expectation. And why would we have a heightened expectation? God, God answered. We, we looked at all these examples last week. The Lord answered. Now maybe it's the, not the, the answer we want, but God did respond. So when we fast, have that greater expectation, that expectation that God is going to give me an answer. Now, was there ever an account, a biblical account of someone who went to fast and God did not answer? I gave so many last week and I give so many more. God answered, God answered. But there is, there is an account in our Bible where people fasted and God would have none of it. They wouldn't listen to him and he wouldn't answer. And it seems the people who went to the, to the fast and began the fast, they wondered, God, why? Why aren't you responding? Why aren't you responding to our fast? So let's get the answer to that question. It, it might help us a little bit more with this, this attitude that Jesus is talking about. And that's in Isaiah chapter 58. 
In Isaiah 58, verses 3 to 9, this question is answered. God, why aren't you responding? So let's answer that question from God's word. Isaiah 58, verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say. There's the question. Why have we fasted? And God, you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you have not noticed. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. And you will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. There is an amazing passage about doing this thing called fasting. How many, how many, when you call on the Lord and you ask for help. How many want to hear him say, here am I. I know this for a fact. I do. I do. I want to hear the Lord say, here am I. And fasting alone's not going to do it. Self-denial, sackcloth and ashes, humbling yourself. That alone is insufficient. When it becomes this, this legalistic approach, when it becomes just a, an act, God isn't responding. God says, where is your heart of compassion? This is what he's saying through, through the prophet Isaiah. You fast, but you have fight and you quarrel and you argue you neglect the poor and the less fortunate you're ignoring all this hurt and pain and suffering around you and you're really adding to it and that reminds me it reminds me of what jesus said about the hypocritical pharisees and their giving well, he said you tithe all right you give all right but you've neglected the more important matters justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. This is what Jesus said to hypocritical Pharisees in their giving. You, you give, but it's just for a show. You're just going through the motions. Sounds very similar to what Isaiah is saying here about fasting. Well, Jesus fasted 
We read the New Testament. We know that Jesus fasted for 40 days. And he had a heart of compassion. He had a heart of compassion for you and for me. And he died for us. He went to a cross and he died for us. This is, this is Jesus who is our example. And he gave us this example of fasting, taking time to meditate on God's word. And when Jesus was tempted, the word of God was right there on his, on his lips. He, he was fasting and, and when he was tempted, there was the word of God. Because that time's being used to draw closer to the Father. So if you have a need, if you have an issue, a crisis, and you, you want to seek the Lord, you can, can seek him in a fast. Yes, practice this. But don't neglect justice and mercy. Where's your heart of compassion? Don't make it a show like the hypocrites. Don't fast with a hardened heart. Put a smile on your face. Let your face glow. Show others around you that none of that's going on. Be kind. Be compassionate. And I know it can be kind and it's tough to be kind and compassionate when, when the hangries are going inside of you. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of what God's trying to help us with and train us with and, and get some self-control and some discipline and go to him when that's happening. You know, in essence, all of this just tells us to be more Christ-like, to emulate Jesus. I mean, after all, Jesus is our righteousness. But when, when we repent of our sins and we say, I've had enough. I want to turn my life around. I want, to, I want to go to the cross of Christ because he died for us to take away our sins. And we repent before him. And we allow that blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ to pay for our sins because it did. We just receive it and accept it finally. The word of God says, now he's our righteousness. We're guilty. We've sinned. Yes. But before God Almighty, God sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, our righteousness. And I'm so glad for that. So while we're living, model Jesus, emulate Jesus. And then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord God will be your rear guard. And then you will call and the Lord will answer. And when you cry for help, he'll say, here am I. And that's, such a great thing. So we can do that in a fast. fast. Fasting then is approaching God with your need by willingly denying yourself. And in that denial, concentrating on him while being Jesus to all of those around you. And then expect God to answer because God does. And I, I can testify to that. I've been beside myself, not knowing what to do. And when I have taken the time to fast, God has answered. He has answered and said, here am I. And I believe he'll do that for you too. But it means we have to apply this. We have to apply it in our life. Jesus said, when you give, check, got that, do it. Jesus said, when you pray, check, yep, got it, do it. Jesus said, when you fast, bah, hold on, I can't put the check mark there. 
And if we can't put the check mark there, let's, let's put it into practice. And, and I know this. I have got to practice this thing called fasting more in my own life. I mean, it takes practice. I, I, I can't really say I could put the check mark there like I do for giving and praying. Maybe just a little, maybe I could start the pencil line. But I've got to put this into practice more. I was at the upward, uh, it was at the upward sports yesterday. It was our final day of the upward sports, kindergartners through middle school. They play basketball, they do cheer. And it was really an excellent, fun time. I had the privilege to be the halftime speaker. And I talked about the Bible. I talked about the Bible being full of practical help and advice. And so we have some practical help today in this idea of fasting. We have the practical words of Jesus. When you fast, have the right attitude, have the right heart, have a heart of compassion. But we do need to put it into practice. So yesterday, I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 about, uh, about training, training hard, that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth. He said, run. Run in such a way as to win the prize. Because everyone who competes in the games, and he was using the Olympic Games, he was, a, you know, he was uh, in the Greek uh, Roman culture then. He said everyone who comp competes in the games goes to, into strict training. And they do it to get a crown that's going to be lost. Hey, you win a basketball game or whatever, you get a medal, and guess what? It gets rusty, it gets old, you, it, it fades away. But Paul went on to say, we don't do that to get a crown that's going to fade away, but we train to get a crown that will last forever. And that's the crown of life. That's the crown of life, eternal life, which we're living already. It's already begun. If we've, if we've taken Christ in, if Christ is in our life, if we've received him and we're, he's in us and we're in Christ, we've already begun eternal life. But it's not necessarily easy living for Jesus in this world. So the Apostle Paul, he drew this analogy. Live like you're in an Olympic competition. Train. Do some training. The goal, the aim, is this crown of life that lasts forever. So train, practice. When you give, when you pray, make it practice. Make, make it a habit. When you fast, you know, our topic today. So do we train in this area? I was watching these students play basketball. And some of them were amazing. Now, when it comes to basketball, I can do this. And this is about it. This is about it. That's about what I've got. I just showed you all my basketball moves. And I'm watching these middle school, fourth grade, fifth grade. And they're driving down the court, put on the brakes, Stop like on a dime. The ball goes, you know, I cannot left-handed forget about it. Right? So I'm watching this little guy. I don't know. He's fourth, fifth grade or something. Stop. Boom. And then, and then he, he backs up. It goes through left-handed. Around his back. He dribbles behind his back. Sets. Shoots. I'm amazed. Because this is what I got. If I go left-handed, forget about it. I can't. Uh, you know, that's it. Uh, Could I ever play like that, like that guy plays? 
Like lots of them were playing. Well, maybe if I practiced. But it just wasn't, it wasn't my thing. When I was in high school, uh, you know, in, in gym class, I just it wasn't, you know, basketball wasn't going to be my thing. I played a, I played a game of uh, pig with uh, my nephews in the springtime over at their house. So pig, it turned into horse. Because, you know, I had P.I.G., my 10-year-old nephew's got nothing, right? So then it turned into horse, right? You, it ended up being supercalifragilisticexpialidocious because, listen, I, that kid kept whoosh, all net because he trained, because he practiced. So I can't even dribble left-handed. So what would it be if I, if I busted out something like this, you know? What, what, what could happen with this? I mean, could, could a guy like me, closer to 60 than 50, can't dribble left-handed, I, I hear some prayers over there. I don't know. You know, so could I do that? Don't want to don't take out any of our lights. Don't want to take out any of our lights. You can see it's been a while, but, but, you know, just like riding a bike, so to speak, right? It comes back. So I busted this out of my shed yesterday after 20 years, 20 years. Now I've been living in the same house for 20 years. So what does that tell you? I moved in, put it in the shed. So, what does that say? If we train at something, we can actually get sort of good at it. I can't play basketball. And when, when it comes to fasting, maybe, maybe I should think about it a little bit more like riding my unicycle than the way that I play basketball. Because I took time. I took time over 40 years ago now to figure out how to do that thing. And there was a lot of crashes involved. And, and I'll just tell you, that's not the original seat. I did have to change it after smashing it so many times. So fasting, we're a little bit more like, like the way I trained for that then maybe it'd be more helpful in my life. But then I thought this. Yeah, I can do that. But it's been in my shed for 20 years. I've been in the same house for 20 years. So when we moved, I just stuck it in the shed. It had been in the, it, it had been in the other house garage for 10 years. And that's, I, you know, I thought... That's a little bit about fasting too. So, so maybe I know what I'm doing a little bit. I know how to do it. But have I put it away for 20 years? Maybe some of you, you fasted. You know all about it. You've been around here a long time. You've heard, maybe you've heard M.D. Beal. Somebody shared with me recently a message from M.D. Beal on fasting. Maybe you read James Beal's book. 
about fasting. Maybe you heard Pastor Dunn's messages on fasting. So you, you did. But now it's in the shed. Is it, is it someplace? Can we put the check mark? Can we put the check mark next to it like prayer and giving? Can we make it part of our, our personal spiritual life? Not making a show of it. Not getting grumpy. Not hurting those around us. Not neglecting justice and mercy and compassion. And then see if God will not say, here am I. And, and now just a little bit of how-to. Just a little bit of how-to. Let's, let's make it a habit. Let's, let's put, put it into practice. But how-to. Biblical fasting, it's cutting out some food. You, you, you might say, well, I just, I'm not going to cut out a whole day of food. It's not going to work. How about a meal? How about one meal? One meal for spiritual purposes can be a biblical fast. And in, in the Bible times, fasting was really the, the main idea for a fast or the, the main practice was just not eating for the day and they would eat it in the evening. So they'd fast for the day. But again, the point's not to incur injury or to induce a medical crisis. No, 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 that's not the point. The point's to approach God and willingly deny ourselves. And in that denial, concentrate on him while being Jesus to those around us. So other than food, what else, what else might you deny yourself? And, and maybe you're even wondering that. Maybe even if you can fast food, but you're wondering, maybe there is some other form of self-denial that might even press me closer into God, closer than beyond my desire for food. And that's a great question. So I ask you a question. How many of you have heard of nomophobia? Nomophobia, it's a real word. And it was coined in 2008, just 12 years ago. But it's already been added to the Oxford English Dictionary, which is the gold standard for words. If it's in that dictionary, it's a word. Nomophobia from the Oxford English Dictionary is this. It's anxiety about not having access to a mobile phone or mobile phone services. If you experience nomophobia, you could be nomophobic. So, what might it mean to fast from this thing? But surely, surely, not too many people have nomophobia, right? Red, I read this article, now this is dated. It's from 2014, six years old. A guy named Dr. Tim Elmore, he wrote it for Psychology Today. He quotes a 2010 study by the United Kingdom Post Office, which in this study, they coined the term nomophobia. No more mobile phone. No mo, no mo, no mo phone. Nomophobia. I'm getting tense already. So this study 
from the UK post office found that nearly 53% of mobile phone users in Britain tend to be anxious when they lose their mobile phone, when it runs out the battery, or they've got no network coverage. And it said the stress levels induced by the average case of nomophobia are on par with those of wedding day jitters. Have you ever been around a bride on her wedding day? And trips to the dentist. So this is quite the fear. Now, if you're willing to give this thing up, it might be self-denial beyond food, beyond meals. Dr. Elmore continued, and he said in the U.S., it's gotten worse. More than half of the cell phone users never switch their phone off. One in five, 20% would rather go without shoes for a week than take a break from their cell phone. And he wrote this, it's a good way to lose your soul. Yeah, the, the soul of your foot, right? But he added this, it's also a good way to lose your S-O-U-L. It's a good way to lose this soul if you feel like hanging on to this device. You know, you'd rather do that than, than have shoes. A full 66% of adults, now this is 2014 US, a full 66% of adults suffer from nomophobia. And this six years old. The statistics are just as frightening for adolescents and young adults. Dr. Elmore wrote, uh, Elmore wrote an increased number of college students now sh shower with their cell phone. I don't even know how you do that. What do you put it in a bag or something? Don't want to miss something on Instagram. The average adolescent would rather lose a pinky finger than a cell phone. So, you know what? Giving up this thing, fasting from this thing, might do us a lot more good than just giving up a one run through the drive-thru at McDonald's. Yeah. Every time, so, so just think about it. Every time you'd go for this thing and, you know, touch your, touch your pants, is it still there? Uh, yeah. Every time you need to check your emails or your texts, every time you gotta you, you check the likes on Instagram or I don't know, see a video on TikTok or Snapchat or check your Snapchats or your Facebook, you know, instead of doing that, digging into your purse or your pocket, what if you went to God's word? You know, just, you know, I know. Then you you don't have it electronically. Yeah, you'll have to use paper. What if you went to God's word? What if you went to prayer? Probably be quite a bit of reading God's word, getting into God's word and praying. Because to many, this thing is it's worth more than food. It's more of a necessity than food. And if you don't use, maybe, you don't, maybe this, you're like, oh, I don't even use that. No big deal. I don't use one of those things. Well, where's your head at? You got your nose buried in a book? Are you, are you into novels? Are you absorbed in someone else's story? Are you watching sports on the sports channel? You know, I know March Madness is coming up. What if you cut out your brackets? Ooh, don't tell me that. You know, and you didn't watch a college basketball game through March and instead prayed. That's a lot of time. Maybe it's just work. Maybe you're just a workaholic. You got the 80-hour work weeks. 
Cut back to 60. You know, whatever you deny yourself, whatever you deny yourself, the purpose, the purpose is to drive us, drive us to Jesus, point us to Jesus. When we feel that anxiety, when we feel the stress, when we feel the loss, you know, we get the jitters, turn to Christ, look to him, talk to him. Let the word of God be your daily bread. Let it feed you. Get into it deeper. And church, if fasting in some form is not a practice for you, just start it. Start it. Start small. I didn't jump on a unicycle and just start riding. Just take, make, it, make it a little and grow into it. But if you don't, you're missing out. You're missing out on a great opportunity to grow stronger with our Lord, to grow closer to him and to see breakthroughs in areas where you have a need in your life. You know, as I close this morning, I just want to say to you, take hold of the words of Jesus when you fast. Take hold of those words and make them meaningful in your life so that when you read them, when you fast, you can say, yes, because I am. Because I am. And we can begin. We can begin together. And I want to just say a couple words about what you were handed this morning. We can begin together as we pray together as a church. I, along with Pastor Julie and our entire pastoral staff, we want you to be praying for our local church. All of us, all of us, this is our church. This is our church. Let's pray together for our church. Now we've prepared this little guide for you. It's, it's to be used for the seven weeks that begin next week that lead into Easter. Traditionally called the Lenten season. Now this is not a daily guide. It's not, hey, on, on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. No, it's, a, it's weekly. It's weekly. And there's some prayer focuses for the week. So you can pick a day, pick a time, take, take time the whole week, however you approach it. But to pray these, these three points that are there. Get it, into your, get it into your life. Fit it into your prayer life. Fit it into your schedule. But week one, the first week begins with you. It begins with you. Before we really get concerted together for our church, it begins with you. It's a focus for you to, to, to advance your spiritual life, to advance your relationship with God, to pray about where you're at. And that's all right. It's okay to look inward, to look inward and, and pray for, for you, what, what you need for your own spiritual health. And it might be good then to incorporate, even if it's just a, just a little, to incorporate a fast. So I'm not telling you next week, fast the whole week. But think about it, especially if this is not a, a regular habit, especially if it's, if it's left-hand dribbling. At least maybe get it over to right hand, improve Take that week and look at these, these prayer points and pray them. 
And then the next five weeks, the next five weeks focus on, on our church and, and what we do. And we want prayer over it all. We want prayer over the areas where we minister and the, 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 the needs for our, our buildings, all of it. We desire God to be a part of what we're doing here. And the final week, the last week is prayer for those outside these walls. It's for the lost and the hurting because we'd love to see God move on the hearts of people to get them to a place where they'd hear the gospel and they'd yield their life before Jesus Christ. So each week, as I said, just three points. But there's a scripture that begins each prayer. And they begin with this. Meditate on. Meditate on. Meditate on those. Scriptures, the words of God. Take it in, digest it. Let it feed you. Let it speak to you. Don't just gloss over that scripture. Don't Evelyn Wood speed read it. Take time to meditate on it. Take time to meditate on it. Make this a, a practice. Make it a practice. Make it a habit. I've, I've shown you some examples of habits like basketball or riding that thing. You know what the examples are in the Bible? They're habits like this, walking. Is this part of your walk? That, that's the way the Bible portrays it. Old Testament, New Testament. How's your walk? I mean, when Jesus talks about giving prayer and fasting, how's your walk? Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Is the law... Light is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. He meditates day and night. What, what's that guy's habit? Well, it's, it's habits like walking and sitting and standing. I thought, wow, giving prayer, fasting, walking, sitting, standing. I can do all three of those things. But is prayer like my walk? Is giving like my walk? Is fasting? Let that. So, so let's let God's word feed us. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. Take it in. Take some time to do that. And, and we're believing, we're believing that if we're together as we pray through the week, that if we're all joined in this cause to build ourselves in prayer and we're unified seeking God for his house and for our Lord to send in the lost, to send in the hurting, to send in those that need the salvation of Jesus Christ. We believe that if we do this together, that our God is going to respond. And he's going to say, here am I. Here am I. So, will you join us? Will you join us? I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to you know, make a show of this. Answer that question in your heart. If you take this with you this morning... Take it with the sincerity that you will take some time this week and the next six weeks after to pray for, for God's house and for this place. So now let's stand.
God, as we close this service, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, gave us eternal life. God, help us to be ever aiming for that. God, help us to ever live for the goal, to be with him forever and ever, eternal life, to have the eternal crown. God, help us to put these these practices into our life, praying, giving, and fasting, that we'd be closer to you. So God, I ask, as we leave today, we'd be sincere in it, that we would have a desire to make this more a part of our life, that we would be driven to you, closer to you, that we would grow in you. And God, if it takes denying ourselves, help us to do that. Show us, Lord, show us. Your word is rich and full. Help us to emulate Jesus who fasted for 40 days. God, help us to emulate him. Be more Christ-like. Thank you for everyone here, God. Thank you for every family represented, for every person in this house. God, now bless them. Speak to their hearts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would penetrate their hearts, God. And that you would speak to them about this this topic. Lord, and if it's something that they need in their life, that it needs, that it's been, maybe it's been stored away in a shed for a while, God, that, that they would be able to say, God, I need you. Help me to bring it out. Help me to make it more part of my life. God, bless everyone here. Bless them with that. Carry them now, God. As, as we leave this sanctuary, Lord, may your Holy Spirit carry us, envelop us, be with us. Bless us, Lord. Bless every single person here and every family represented by your grace, by your love. God, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for it all. Thank you in that powerful and that wonderful name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen.